Hi, I'm Sadiq. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 33 of Shades of Brown. Uh, this week, we have some follow-up. Uh, I want to follow up with uh, some Android L stuff there. The review by Ron Amadio came out, which is, which is a really good review, which you should read. It's 20,000 words, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes, which you can find at twoshadesofbrown.com. But Christian wanted to talk about the emoji system. So Christian, you can take that first. Before Android O, Android had this blob style of emoji, right? And with Android O, Google decided to move to a more uh, quote-unquote standardized system. Essentially what they're doing is that they are um, not copying Apple, right? But they're using, it's, it's sort of like Google's take on Apple's style of emoji. So it's still like that yellowish cartoonish um style but it's less blobby and a lot more realistic now and that's not the interesting bit because we talked about that when we talked about android o what is the interesting bit is google is now shipping something in play services called the emoji compat library and what that does is say for example i'm a messenger app right and users can send emoji so say for example i it's what an android oreo device is sending the middle finger emoji with brown skin to the uh, someone using KitKat, that's not going to show up on KitKat because the font file um, in that version of Android doesn't have that emoji. So what you get is just the box and maybe like a color thing, like a splash of color next to it to indicate that it's the brown skin one because of how emoji works now. And so what this does is that if you put this library into your app, it will pull a uh, emoji font file from Google, which is uh, used for uh, all the text in your app and the latest emoji will be pulled. Now, what this also does is it will be continuously updated. So if Google adds new emoji, you no longer need a system update to get new emoji. All you have to do is um, have this library in, it automatically pulls down the latest emoji. But even more interesting is that, so if, if a Samsung ships an S8 with Oreo, right? And a new emoji comes out. And that new emoji maybe is of a newer version of Android or whatever. What essentially is going to happen now is that through this library, through Play Services, the latest emoji will be downloaded. But there's an interesting issue here, right? Samsung OEMs can always um, overwrite the Google emoji and ship their own. They've been able to do that. It's just a font file. But any new additions to the emoji will be the Google style. So your system is going to have a hodgepodge of maybe three styles of emoji now, depending on what you're doing, right? Facebook Messenger, for example, uses its own emoji, unless it's one that Facebook Messenger has not been updated to support yet. So then it defaults to the system one. But if you're on a Samsung device, your system emoji can either be the Samsung style or the Google style. Now, if Oreo, depending on what's pulled down. So I don't know if this fixes the issue. It solves the issue of getting the latest emojos without uh, updating your device, right? But I don't, I don't think this really fixes the emojos. I mean, this is, this is one step towards sort of like unifying the look of emojis uh, across uh, vendors. Uh, but I think vendors are still going to want to customize their various like samsung has their own uh emoji style which is horrifying uh uh don't don't add me it's horrifying there's no question about that but yeah so it's like they'll 
I think Google still wants to keep some sort of customization options in for the for the OEMs, but still allow for like people who want to use like you know like the stock emojis uh, to use those. So that's good. That's good. So uh, from from the emojis, we're moving on to a more technical topic. So Project Trouble we mentioned last week, but we didn't really go into detail. Uh, the details are in uh, in, in uh, Ron's review. He goes into a fair bit of detail about how Google is allowing what's called a vendor interface. Uh, so a vendor interface is is a standardized interface uh, that sits between the OS and the hardware. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, uh, you you probably know what what this is. This is this is what is known as a HAL, a hardware. Uh, abstraction layer, and in fact, this is multiple HALs for multiple different uh, devices, audio, video, uh, all sorts of stuff. Has there are a lot of different uh, HAL HALs involved in in the OS now. Uh, there's also a new set of tests that Google is implementing called the Vendor Test Suite, uh, which which implement which ensures that the vendor interface on the device is is properly implemented and future proof. Uh, this this is hard, more hardware focused. And Google is working directly with the major uh, SOC vendors, so uh, Qualcomm, uh, Samsung, uh, or uh, you know MediaTek, uh, places like that. So they're working directly. They have employees placed at uh, Qualcomm headquarters and like uh, Samsung headquarters, and so they're working directly with those vendors to get get this uh, up and running uh, with with the new phones that are going to be shipping with uh, Android O next year. Uh, so any device that's going to be shipping with uh, Android or Oreo will be using Project Treble, and in theory, will be more compatible and will be easier to get custom ROMs on because you have these hardware abstraction layers that can be used to uh, to sort of like abstract the AI. So you can have like multiple versions of HAL, so you can have different versions of HAL for like the modem versus the the audio audio components, so it's 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 a lot of flexibility. There's a lot more flexibility, uh, and so this this allows Google to you know like like have like more data about what sort of HALs are being used and what phones are using what sort of hardware and like there's a lot of about details uh, for statistics and stuff. Uh, but if you want more details on this, uh, along with the technical details, you should read the review. Plus, there's also going to be a link to the. Android developers backstage pro, uh, podcast, which which is quote unquote official uh, Android podcast done by uh, Android developers at Google, uh, so that's that's also going to be in the show notes. So you should go check that out if you're into more technical details on how Project Trouble is going to work. But uh, with with Project Trouble though, before before we move on, um, I want to see if this actually speeds up updates right because i know we always talk shit about it but just for the fact of now that you're it really does take out one like one major um roadblock to getting updates out in a timely manner i want to see if also as well if xda just puts out like a generic this is the latest version of android just so you can flash this to any device right yeah so that's that's like the hope here so that's the hope is that project treble will allow uh will allow phones to Basically, have stock Android, but still have the HAL. So the HALs allow for like you to flash basically other like uh, like uh, a stock version of Android and still be able to have a working device without like without like the ROM developer like messing with with like binary blobs and whatever that whatever else. Uh, so this this will be interesting to watch what XDA will do and what they're planning on doing. 
uh, we'll we'll see in the com- in next year or so when when uh, phones with Android O start shipping, or when the Pixel sh- uh, Pixel ships, uh, what we will see with that, uh, we'll see probably see more custom ROMs uh, for the Pixel devices and whatnot. So this is this is definitely a boom boon for the uh, custom ROM community. Uh, and for as for updates, uh, theoretically, yes, this should speed up uh, updates, but. And this is like this is probably the biggest architectural change to Android since they changed over from Dalvik to Art, uh, uh, the precompiler, uh, what preprocessor? It's a yeah precompiler. Uh, well, no wait, I it's a precompiler. Art no, no Dart or what? No God, um, Dalvik, Dalvik, Dalvik was it was it was Dalvik before before right? Dalvik was done yes. when you compiled the app, and then Art. The change was that. Um, it was on the fly on the device, right? Like it was pre-compiled on device when you download it from the Play Store. I think it did shifted. It shifted when the pre-compilation happened from uh, before you download the package to when you after you install the package. If I if I'm correct. So yes, the Google Google engineers are saying this is the biggest uh, architectural change to Android uh, since since that sort of like like uh, change from Dalvik to Art. Uh, and and I would I'd believe them because this is this is a major undertaking with lots of Google engineers upwards of like a lot of uh, hundred plus uh, Google engineers working on this very project. So uh, this is a significant sort of overhaul, and I, and I would expect this this would bring some significant changes to the future. And I'm hopeful that it will fix it because Android being in a shitty state is not good for anybody. It's it's not good for the OEMs. Uh, it's not good for it's not good for the consumer uh, first of all because. Obviously, you want consumers to get the latest security updates uh, as fast as possible, and and the OS versions as fast as possible. Uh, so th- this is this is a good thing overall, uh, and I'm hopeful that this will actually bring on some much needed, uh, fresh sort of uh, pro- like solution to this this very old problem. Uh, so with that, I think we're gonna we're gonna move on to another Android bit of news. Uh, Xiaomi announced the Android. One phone uh, at Efa. I think they announced that Efa uh, is is a uh, is a new Android One phone called the Xiaomi Mi Mi A One A One. It's uh, I was about to make a rap song reference, but I won't. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, the phone's A One. The phone's A One. It's all right. It's good. Another one. <laughs> I hate you. It's it's another one. Uh, no. uh, oh my god! I did it. You're I the worst. I, you don't know. I'm. I, I am now okay, one so, of um, doing the overview of this topic. You have lost that right. You are no longer the summarizer in chief. <laughs> so, all right, go ahead. This phone is an Android One device. Um, it the specs of it are a 5.5 inch 1080p LCD IPS display, Snapdragon 625 SoC, um, four gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, and a 30. Uh, 3,080 milliamp hour battery. It has a dual sensor camera setup, a fingerprint sensor, USB Type C, a headphone jack, a micro SD card, and an IR blaster. And it comes out to $234 uh, US. Um, this phone's not shipping in America. The cameras are a 12 megapixel sensor, and the other 12 megapixel sensor has a telephoto lens, so it does the zoom in and depth of, fat, depth of field effect that the iPhone does. Um, this 
does not ship with Mi OS. Is that what it's called? Yes. Um, I, I don't know if it's called Mi OS, but... Uh, but it's like it's Xiaomi's custom skin, which is like completely has no Google... Well, in China, it doesn't ship with any Google apps. Um, this is stock Android because it is an Android 1 device. Uh, this is interesting because Android 1 was originally right. It's supposed to be like $100 devices. And also as well, this isn't an Android Go device, right? So I'm confused, right? Because Android Go is the news. Is what Android One is changing to? Mm, yes, I, I as if I, I'm trying to remember what happened at Google I/O this year, but I can't quite. They announced the Android Go, right, for phones in developing markets that had all the offline, the light version of apps and everything, right? Um, so I guess Android One is sticking around. So I, I've, I'm if we're trying to make sense of it. Maybe Android Go is like $100 and below, and then Android One is mid-range devices that ship with stock Android in developing markets. Possibly, or this phone was designed before Android Go was a thing, or maybe it's just like a... Who knows with Google? They're not always the best at uh, marketing uh, the stuff. Yeah, because it's shipping with Android 7.1 and not um, Oreo. But timely updates will become by the end of the year. Um, it is shipping in 40 markets, uh, not the U.S., but Indonesia, Vietnam, Russia, Poland, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Ukraine, and Mexico were listed out in the press release. Uh, also, India as well. India. Yeah, India as well. Uh, so this is obviously meant for, uh, meant for markets uh, like, uh, like India. Uh, this, is a, this is actually, surprisingly, this is the highest-end Android One device uh, ever. Uh, so this is obviously not a low-spec uh, devices. This is not a, a high-range device either, but it's it's a mid-range sort of device. And for two hundred and thirty-four dollars, that's that's not an unreasonable price for this uh, device. The design looks like an iPhone Seven Plus. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. This is. It has the big top and bottom bezels. Um, I actually like it. Like, I mean, is it is it an iPhone clone? Probably. It's Xiaomi. Uh, who cares, right? But. The design of it, I think this is actual metal. Yes, this is an all metal back. Uh, so the body is all metal. Uh, it looks like an iPhone. So it's it's picked up like the iPhone characteristics, like rounded edges uh, and whatnot. It has the same antenna bands as the iPhone Seven. Uh, the camera looks similar, but it's just like for the price and for the specs, like and the fact that it's all metal build. This is not a device that seems to be bad, especially if it's Android 1, right? Android 1 means you're getting stock Android. There are some Xiaomi apps, right? Like maybe the Xiaomi apps or some other stuff, but those can be easily disabled. Um, it even comes with the Pixel launcher. Because look at the uh, the screenshots, right? So it, it comes with only one Xiaomi app, uh, which is the camera app, because the Google camera app doesn't support dual cameras. Uh, so, uh, so it comes with the Xiaomi camera app. Other than that, it's, it's all stock. Uh, so yeah, so this is, this is, a, this is actually a really nice device. I would probably buy it like as a testing device for like, uh, Android. This is a cheap enough where you could just like impulse buy this. This, is, this would be like a, sort of like a, like a backup Android phone or a backup phone. Uh, this is not a bad backup phone either. So, so this, this is cool. Yeah. since it's, it's Android one. In theory, it should be getting updates, right? It should have Oreo soon. I mean, you should be able to import this from, like, Mexico, and, like, it should still work in the U.S. Like, the bands should be fine. Or in Canada, it should, it should run fork fine as long as it's GSM, right? So, it's a, depends on the bands. Um, I do not know off the top. I think Mexico is GSM, yeah. Um, LTE might be different. It might not work with data. It should work with texting and cellular, though. 
Yeah, it might not work with Verizon, uh, but it should work with AT&T. And T-Mobile? Probably T-Mobile, yeah. Uh, T-Mobile, AT&T, or no, I want to say T-Mobile, yes, AT&T maybe. AT&T has different restrictions on the bands they use and such. Uh, T-Mobile might not be of LTE, but HSPA um, on T-Mobile. Uh, I think they use the same bands as most of the world. Um, even then, too, you can probably import one on Alibaba. And if you if you didn't want if you don't use it an actual phone right just to play around with you could import it from Alibaba. Yeah, you could uh, import this, and it would probably still work with data and just just with three G, maybe not for LTE. Uh, it would still work. Uh, so it's so it's it's fine. Uh, you could probably import it; and it'll still probably work. It might even work on LTE because you know bands are not that uncommon between Mexico and say if you import it from Mexico, it wouldn't be uh, too much different from the U.S. or Canada uh, Canada's bands. Uh, so with that, uh, we're going to move on to a lighter topic, uh, sort of like a break. Uh, we're back on Christian's Aria reviews. And Christian, this week, what are we reviewing? This week, we are reviewing Thin Lemon. I think last week I might have said Thin Mint. They're actually Thin Lemon. Um, I don't know why I keep getting those confused. But just to be clear, Thin Mint is one. Thin Lemon is another one. I don't think they have one that are mixed together. So, uh... If I got that wrong last week, if I mix that up, my bad. So Oreo Thins, they're, they're their own category, right? It's like an Oreo, half the size, half the filling. You know, it's the refined Oreo. It's when you don't want to be inundated with a bunch of sugar and all that. Um, thin Lemon are the golden Oreos. Uh, so it'd be like the uh, vanilla cracker instead of the chocolate cracker. And I think it's the same cream. But this time they have a little lemon uh, hint to them. And it's actually really nice. Nice. So you, you take a bite of it, right? It's a vanilla cracker. It's Oreo filling. Um, and you get hit with a little bit of lemon. And it's a very pleasant lemon, right? Like, so the unboxing experience, of course, is the same as it was last week. Although this time you get double the amount of cookies. But since they're smaller, um, it's still... It might be more of a cookie to price ratio, but the size of the cookie, right? It's it, it works out in the end where it's essentially the same. The same amount of cookie, uh, it's just in smaller portions. Um the crunch the crunch factor on this one is not it's not as, you know, bite in and just like crack and all that as the uh as the Dunkin' Donuts ones were. This one's much more of a lighter uh crunch, you know. It's just one bite and it's done. Um, but the cookie itself, the vanilla cookies are actually hot take here. The golden Oreos are better than the chocolate Oreos. Like the vanilla cookies, I don't I I think that's the chocolate they use is like a little too strong of a chocolate. This one is a much lighter vanilla, um, more of the cookie taste itself. You're not being like hit in the face with a bunch of uh, vanilla. I think it's a lot more pleasant. Like I said last week, this is the thinking woman's Oreo, you know? Um, I would actually rate these higher than the Dunkin' Donuts ones. Just be, I think this one's available in Canada. This, this does sound more pleasant. Uh, and I would probably eat it if it was available in Canada. I don't know if the last week's one wasn't... Uh, who knows? Who knows if it's available? This food stuff is weird, but... Yeah, this one does sound... Also, too, I have an, uh, I have an apology to all the Canadians. Um, I want to apologize for my comments on Tim Hortons last week. <laughs> yes, those I, were... 
It is not where you get poutine. I recognize that now. Um, please get out of my mentions. Please. Please stop adding me. I understand this. I recognize this. It's okay. Yeah, and that's, I mean, yeah, poutine's not, not for, not for Tim Hortons. That's, yeah, let's just clear that one up for everybody, uh, all the Americans. Uh, so moving on from uh, Oreos. This week's patron that you should support is Crow Moore's page. Crow's an artist. They do sketches and other types of art, which you can find at their portfolio website, thefishcrow.com. They also have a science fiction webcomic at crowblogs.com. Supporting their Patreon gets you access to their private sketches and abstract concept work. You can find their Patreon at patreon.com slash thefishcrow. That's patreon.com slash T-H-E-F-I-S-H-C-R-O. Back to the show. All right. Uh, our next topic is uh, Microsoft has announced the announced the Surface event, uh, keynote Surface keynote rather in London uh, next month, so October thirty first uh, to November first. Uh, so they haven't said what devices it will be, but we are uh, the guesses are it would be a Surface Pro uh, LTE version, maybe, or Christian suggests. Uh, Surface Phone. Uh, I don't think that's... Well, so the major, the, the whole entire conference, I think, is called the Future Decoded. It's got a bunch of speakers, including the Azure CTO, um, Mark Rusinovich. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I apologize. Um, and Canonical CEO, Mark Shuttleworth. So they're having a Surface event, but they're also having a bunch of server stuff. So random idea here. What if they made a Surface Windows Server, like an XServe kind of device? That doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't be called a Surface device anyway if it was like a server product. Uh, that, that that doesn't actually make, like from a marketing standpoint point of view, it doesn't make any sense. To me. You know, I can have ideas too, all right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, but like, I don't think Microsoft... Uh, is is in the market to make servers like that? Like they're not like I don't think they're just gonna step into it. They they have partners for that. They have Dell. They have uh, Lenovo. Who else? Whoever else makes uh, uh, Windows based or Windows servers. Uh, it's uh, they, I don't think Microsoft is stepping into the server market. But a Surface phone doesn't sound unlikely. But we haven't heard any rumors or any leaks. Uh, pertaining to pertaining to that, so I wouldn't. Well, uh, Mary Jo Foley has said that um, Microsoft is not going to update the Surface Hub, right? So that's the big table thing, right? Like, looks like a whiteboard, and also aren't going to update the Surface Studio because um, they're waiting for Coffee Lake to come out to upgrade those devices. So, what what has leaked out? It's been little because honestly, Microsoft Surface team is really good at not leaking things. Um, so an LTE Surface Pro, the new one, and an updated Surface Book, and they also might start showing off ARM-powered Windows devices. All right, so the Microsoft spokesperson said, we're on track to see Windows 10 on Snapdragon devices become available this year as previously shared. Uh, so so they, are, they, are they proposing uh, Windows 10 on Snapdragon suggests like a phone, like a Snapdragon SOC, uh, which which suggests a phone. But 
Um, yeah, like the phone and continuum, right? Because because right now the reason I keep saying phone is because I think software is getting there for it. Um, if they do a Surface Phone now and ship it with the fall creators update later on, right? If they have like a month lead time on the the phone being announced and the device coming out. Um, they've been working on something called Seashell internally, which so right now, right? You have Windows 10, you have the Xbox, you have Windows 10 on um, IoT devices, and you have Windows 10 Mobile, right? And the desktop shell, right? So the start menu, um, the task manager, all that stuff. Those are all separate code bases for each device. And I believe that the Xbox dashboard is going to stay different. But for Windows 10 proper, Windows 10 mobile, and Windows 10 on IoT devices, Seashell is essentially making all three of those code bases into one, right? So they're gonna, their plan is to kill off the start menu for like Windows 10 mobile, right? And use the same code base as Windows 10 desktop, but have it scale down to a phone, right? Because right now the Windows 10, it already runs on ARM because Windows 10 on ARM is a thing, but more of the UI layout and all that stuff is moving towards that. Because essentially, um, Microsoft is trying to kill Windows 10 mobile as a thing and use the Windows 10 on ARM SKU, which sounds like the same thing, but it's different just for the fact that Windows 10 on ARM is going to be using the desktop shell. Um, it's still going to have a mobile layout if you use it on a screen lower than seven inches, right? Or smaller than seven inches. Um, but Windows 10 on ARM gives you access to cross-compiled and emulated Project Centennial apps. It gives you access to uh, Continuum not being the uh, weird hacky kind of shell it is right now, but the actual full Windows shell, right? Because if it's the same code base, if I plug in my phone to a monitor, I hook up a keyboard, I hook up a mouse to it, right? They're not having to launch a separate process. It's still using the same shell, right? That's on the phone as is, but just showing a different layout, if that makes sense. So this is essentially converging all the Windows. So I don't know. I think I think that a Surface Phone might be coming. I don't know if it is. Um, there haven't been any leaks. I wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, who knows if the software is ready? And also as well, too, Microsoft, knowing Microsoft, they're probably going to start. They're probably going to wait until they have more pen support in Windows 10 to launch a Surface device because I'm or Surface Phone because I imagine besides the Continuum stuff, if they were to release a Surface Phone, it'd probably be a huge Galaxy Note competitor. Yeah, that's that sounds uh, about right there. They, they've been focusing on the productivity end of things and a big phablet sort of uh device with a stylus like the note uh would would yes yes i'm still here uh so uh stylus like device stylus with with the phone would be interesting and people uh there was a windows central article uh recently about how there aren't aren't enough uh windows phones it's getting harder to find good windows phones and how that's uh uh, how that's very sad. If they if they release a phablet, it's it's probably gonna have a stylus, or a keyboard accessory, or maybe like some sort of dock, uh, dock device like Dex. Uh, who knows? They could they could do a do a dock. Uh, so that's that's Microsoft. And our next topic is 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 not a tech news topic. We're gonna be talking about how to figure out if if a review you're reading or or quote unquote review is is actually just marketing copy or an actual proper uh review from the reviewer uh not just uh, not just like pr speak from the pr of the company that the for the product is for so christian you had an example of a video so what do you think about that video okay so the video we're going to be linking to is um the nokia 8 unboxing plus five things you need to know before buying by jonathan morrison on 
YouTube. And I wanted to start off a YouTube video because a lot of these YouTubers are uh, hashtag influencers. And besides the fact that we make fun of hashtag brands and like people who call themselves influencers and stuff, like it's important to think about what that really means, right? Because even in the description, it says that the uh, Nokia mobile team sponsored the video and all that. But I don't, I think that some folks end up ignoring that and take some of the things stated in the video as fact when it's really just marketing copyright or that person's opinion. Because so, one of the only YouTubers who isn't consistently uh, being flown out is MKBHD. Um, Austin Evans, pretty sure Jonathan Morrison, Unbox Therapy, maybe. And a couple other YouTubers, all the popular tech ones who do unboxings and reviews and all that stuff. I want to say a good 80% of their content is just sponsored. And most of what you're getting from them is just marketing bullet points regurgitated and repackaged in a video format, right? Yeah. So that's so the thing here is uh this is all this is all upfront, but the thing is, uh most people ignore this because they're uh, the, the in the video with Morrison, uh, the first thing he mentioned was that the Nokia team flew him uh, out to their place and you know like gave him the phone and whatnot. Uh, so so there's obviously a business relationship there and there's a conflict of interest uh, straight away. Uh, so that's one thing to watch out for. So if there's a disclosure, check for disclosures. Check the video description. Check the video. Uh, check the title. Sometimes uh, some YouTubers put uh, like the word ad before the title of the video, but I don't think this uh, a lot of YouTubers stop doing that. They just put it in the description uh, or they put it, uh, put, it, put it in the video itself. But that's one thing to watch out for. Uh, also, like, the video has nothing but good points. And I, I think Nokia has, like, Nokia is not a bad phone manufacturer, but th there's going to be certain disadvantages uh, to the device, uh, the product, uh, even, like, one disadvantage. Uh, none of those got mentioned. Like this is overall like extremely positive, which 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 is extremely suspicious as well. Uh, that's that's another thing uh, I watch for. What about you, Christian? What, what do you what do you watch out for when you when you read these things or watch these things? Um, what I watch out for is the tone of the video, right? Um, there are some YouTubers who, and this is not a knock on the YouTuber themselves, right? But they're better they're better video producers than they are like actual critics. So they have, they're popular, right? Because they have like really great 4K footage. The editing's good. Their uh, their color grading's really great, right? And they do really good product shots. But it's important to note that that does not make a good tech video, right? Like I'm gonna keep using MKBHD because MKBHD is probably like the best example. And The Verge, The Verge and MKBHD have the best YouTube um, or video reviews out there right now, and it's. It's because they also have great production quality, but what's more important is the fact that they can critique devices. There's another person, Erica Griffin, I believe is her name. Please give me a minute to look this up so I do not get this incorrect. Uh, a link to her channel will be in the show notes. Yes, Erica Griffin. She does like 20, 30 minute reviews of videos or reviews of phones rather. And hers as well. She buys all of her devices. Um, I believe she's Patreon funded and just ad supported. Um, that's how MKBHD is as well. MKBHD is uh, ad funded, but um, 
it's you have to check where like where like with most media right where is the funding coming from the verge is vc funded so they're that's where their money comes from fox media is a huge company um but when it comes to independent creators usually the folks who have their own patrons generally are going to be more genuine with their opinions versus someone who is completely ad supported and is consistently being flown out by companies because uh as gross as it sounds it's about ethics um yes it is it is uh it's also about a bit of psychology like if, if a company is flying you out um no matter how objective you might be about that you you are less likely to put in a critical note about the product uh but the company is flying you out so so that's like that's the that's thing it's just not like it's not a personal sort of thing it's just a psychology thing uh you're less likely to be talking shit about uh some company that uh, treated you real nice that you stayed at a nice hotel paid by them etc you know this it's just it's just a human thing so uh that's one thing to watch out for like it's the the, the youtuber may disclose they may say that they're as objective as possible, but you gotta you gotta understand that it's it's not possible to be hundred uh, percent objective on that front, especially if the company is paying for you your trip, or or they're giving you a product, or if they fly you out, or whatever else uh, they are doing. Uh, how about articles? So this we've been talking about YouTube videos for a while. Uh, articles, I think, is is easier. Sort of, uh, you you can uh, sort of go by the publication so if this is like a no-name blog you probably want to you probably want to assume that it might be marketing copy or not very trust my indication for it is uh first time you go to a website turn off ad block for a minute refresh the page how many ads do they have okay so this is that's not right if a website has like i no no wait wait my point's not over like if you have a website with ad block off let's say it's like an android blog and there are Five or six ads on the page, most of them are flash. The views of it, they're probably, it's probably more of a content farm rate than I want to say. Like Android Police is a good blog, only has like, maybe I think they have three ads in the payment, uh, like a paid version of it. Like I know that using the amount of ads on a website as an indicator of the quality of the writing on it is not the best, but... It's a good indicator, though, of how much the person who's running the blog cares about the quality of it. So, uh, a counterexample, sort of that this like not following the trend there is is Android Central, uh, uh, and all mobile nation site really. But uh, if you turn off ad block on, on Android Central, there's a quite a bit of ads, and that's that's how they're funded. So that's how they make their money. But I think Android Central is one of the probably one of the most uh, reputable uh, Android blogs out there. So uh, this is not like a market against a reputation. They have really good reviews. Their reviews are thorough. They're not afraid to call out manufacturers on their bullshit. Uh, so so it's it's I think it's that's one thing one factor to watch out for. Uh, another thing probably is just like if it reads like a spec sheet or like. Uh, if it reads like overly glowing and like it doesn't have any sort of critical language in it, uh, that's probably another sign that it's 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 probably just marketing uh, copy copied from a PR release uh, into a blog post. Yeah, there's like a lot of like adjectives, right? If it's using if it's like very very descriptive with the device rate, and I I I want to drill in on that more because just saying a lot uh, using a lot of adjectives is kind of confusing. But there are certain ways that companies will 
phrase how uh, how they describe the products right like terms like luxurious or swelt or however you pronounce that word um or um is generally like kind of flowery glowing words to describe normal things right like there's definitely been some reviews i've read where they describe the glass as being like crystal like or something like that right and it's just like that's probably lifted from a marketing copy because i mean it's people do it naturally right like you know uh if you're a writer you have a word count and it's easy to just throw in some marketing copy to inflate it if you are under like i'm not like or even into press releases are a good way to find out about some general questions of the device right while you're reviewing it without having to contact the pr person back and forth or maybe if you're a smaller blog you don't have that connection to a pr person so it's it's easier for you to do that but at the same time right for the person reading it for the person watching that video if what they're getting is just like a regurgitated marketing or a press release what really do they get out of that video right what do you get like 10 minutes of some nice shots of a device right but if there isn't no criticism in it then the value of the content doesn't really hold that much weight right so if if your intent is to watch a video and make a purchasing decision that is not helpful because it's not a review at that point it's 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 you're reading a pr uh or reading or watching a pr uh, a bit of PR for for the phone, for the device, for the for whatever. This doesn't just apply to phones, but uh, everything else, every tech product. Uh, it's just you're not getting the phone. But if you just want to watch nice product shots, I mean, sure, why not? Uh, but yeah, it's just, just be careful of what do you read or what do you what do you watch. Also, another thing, uh, be careful for like the terms like hands on versus. Review like these are these are specific terms. I'm like a hands-on is not a review. Uh, hands-on usually is, comes out before a review. Is usually a video, a quick video or a quick article about like what the what the article or what the what the device has like spec-wise and like and that and hands-ons are usually more PR focused. Like there's more PR PR language in them because they're usually like done right after the announcement. So like there's going to be a lot of flowery language. Uh, and like descriptions and like like not specific spec details, uh, so it's it's watch out for that. So wait for a review, a proper review, uh, instead of a hands on. Um, this might be hard for some people to find out, right? They aren't like if you don't follow everyone in the industry on Twitter, for example. Like games writing is a good example of this. The embargo date versus how long it takes for the review to come out, right? Usually reviews that come out right when the embargo hits are not going to be as detailed as those that um, come out a couple days after the embargo is lifted. Right. So uh, what Christian is talking about is here is, is a lot most a lot of game publishers uh, set embargo dates on uh, on on reviews uh, with big sites and or really every site that gets a review copy uh, usually has to agree to some sort of embargo where. Uh, depends on the on the publisher but some publishers what they do is they set an embargo date to the day of release uh of, of the game itself and what what happens is if everybody rushes uh to get their reviews out uh by that deadline because uh most for ad funded sites you want those clicks you want those search engine traffic you want that traffic as much traffic as you can get uh at the, at the very peak of the traffic uh flow uh, so you want to you want to capitalize on that 
But if, if the if the embargo date is set uh, set at a later date, or, or if there is no embargo, uh, like a, a loose embargo, then then that's there's no as much pressure. Or if or if the if the blog is Patreon funded, uh, like the Jim Quisition, then there's no pressure ever. Uh, like just um just to be clear, uh, because some people might not know this, here are blogs that are VC funded, uh, venture capital, meaning that. The, when they are invested in by an investor, the investor expe- expects an exponential return on their cash. So they are driven to have ad platforms that track and do gross things and maybe content farm a little more than they should. Uh, Vox Media, which includes The Verge, um, Polygon, Vox.com, uh, AOL's blog thing, I think it's called Weblogs. I don't know. Whatever Oath owns nowadays, right? So TechCrunch, Engadget. Um, Gizmodo as well is also, well, Gizmodo actually is ran, is used to be owned by Gawker. Gawker died, rest in peace. Um, bless you forever. Uh, it's now owned by Univision, actually. It's the Gizmodo Media Group. They invested in them. So Gizmodo is a little separate. Um, Gizmodo is sponsored or is, uh, ad supported. Um, so they, I don't, I don't believe that Univision is doing a venture capital style investment in them, but it's still important to know who's backing the media. Um, Ars Technica is an, is an example of when it doesn't matter. Because Conde Nast owns Ars Technica, Conde Nast owns Vogue, uh, part, invests, owns a part of Reddit, I believe, um, Teen Vogue, and Wired. But Ars Technica is mainly funded by uh, subscriptions. Um, so yes, uh, our Technica has a subscription model. Uh, you'll see a lot of our links are from our Technica because uh, I'm our Technica subscriber. I uh, have been for a couple years now, uh, and, I, and I, I think it is extremely good. Uh, I think their content is they have a variety of content uh, with lots of expertise. Uh, Ron Amadio's review is probably some of the best Android writing uh, in in the industry. So uh, so that's that. So our Technica is. is has ads, but it's mostly uh, fun. Like a lot of it, uh, they don't have a lot of ads. It's not as as heavy on the tracking or on the ads. It's just Google ads um, and and subscribe. And they rarely do sponsored content. I think they maybe do a couple times a year, but I don't think they do it as much as other blogs. They, I don't think they ever do sponsored content. I've never seen sponsored content on. Uh, Actually, I'm looking at it right now. I've never, I'm not seeing any either. But so Ars Technica is an example of when it's. It doesn't matter, even though they're owned by someone who is a uh, venture funded. Um, you have traditional newspapers, right? Like the New York Times and Wall Street Journals. Those are essentially reader funded. Um, their tech sections are actually pretty good, even though they gear more towards a general audience. Um, with games writing, um, Giant Bomb is Patreon funded, I think? No, the Giant Bomb has subscription model uh, that they use. Uh, also, a note, Giant Bomb is owned by CBS, right? Is it owned by CBS? Uh, I can't quite remember who they're owned by, but yeah, their their business model is uh, they have a subscription based system which which funds their content. Uh, Although honestly, with uh, with games writing, you're probably better off just like supporting people on Patreon and doing like independent content uh, creators. A lot of YouTube content that's independently funded by Patreon uh, backers, uh, Jimquisition, the Jim Sterling uh, as an example. Uh, uh, there other was like Mark Brown, Laura K. Buzz. No longer, I think she's now working. No longer, right? I think she works for Giant Bomb now or Destructoid or one of those. Uh, 
Uh, Laura K. Buzz is now editor at uh, at Kotaku UK. Uh, yes, Kotaku UK is separate from Kotaku uh, in the United States. Uh, they're separate organizations managed by separate uh, companies. Uh, so and then different. there's there's what there's there's also Vice. Uh, personal opinion: Vice is kind of shitty. I don't I don't support I don't support Vice on ethical grounds because they uh so for example Vice launched a partnership with Airbnb to do a video series of people staying in developing countries. There's an outline piece on it. Um Waypoint is good, but Vice as a parent company is not great. Also too, uh the one of the co-founders of Vice definitely broke off and used the vice money to start like two alt-right blogs. So, you know, vice is a weird spot. Uh, vice noisy is a really good music blog. Uh, waypoint is really good. Motherboard is also good, but at the same time, vice's parent company is a little problematic. So I, it's mm, that one, you know, I wouldn't fault you if you read them. I wouldn't fault you if you didn't read them, but it's still important to know who, who controls the media, right? Who owns the media that you read? And honestly, the best option is to go to independent blogs. Like if you do tech, uh, if you're an Apple, right, there's Daring Fireball, there's 512 Pixels, there's the Brooks Review. Uh, if you're into games, there's people all over Patreon. Yeah, there's, there's the gymquisition.com. There is other independent video reviewers, text reviewers. Uh, you can find them uh, on YouTube or on, on their blogs. Uh, if you're into Linux news, I, uh, some of our uh, listeners may be Linux users, you want to go to lwn.net. Uh, this this, this uh, site's design will take you back to the 90s, but um, they have a subscription-based uh, model, entirely subscription-funded, and they have really good uh, articles, like really in-depth technical articles. So if you're into that, uh, uh, LWN.net is, is, is what you want uh, and I recommend Ars Technica if you want a more general sort of uh, tech site uh, which, and if you want something like super nerdy like into processors and all that kind of stuff that goes into like the real nitty gritty um, Anantech is also very good at that yep yeah, Anantech is where you want those benchmarks and like a really like deep, like deep looks into, into hardware that's where you want to go so so that's that's our sort of take on on like media like tech media and, uh, and ethics and whatnot uh with that i think we're gonna uh, close off this episode uh you can find us on twoshadesofbrand.com uh, you can find me on mastodon at static safe at mastodon.zombocloud.com and christian um i am on mastodon at c-c-o-l-o-c-h-o at c-y-b-r E dot space. I'm also trying to get back into Twitter more because uh, hashtag brands. So I'm at Josephine on Twitter. I have a new website, Josephine.website. Tell me what you think. It's uh, it's It uses a nice font. <laughs> it uses a nice font. And with that, goodbye. Bye.